Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemary Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. Hey, Judge Aquilina, it's so good to be back for our second episode of Warrior Women Speak. I'm, I'm so excited about today's show. I know I've been doing a lot of thinking and prepping and processing. How do we talk about, we need to talk about Cosby. How do we talk about the impact of all that's happened the last, one of the last shows we did in season one, we had a show the day after Cosby was released early from prison. And then we took a break and we just had our first episode last week. And I was thinking when we started planning for season two, I knew this documentary was coming out. And even though we've already done a show on this, I couldn't wait to come here today and do our second show because I think what we're gonna talk about today it's gonna be bigger than just Cosby. I think one of the, the messages, and I definitely picked up on this when I watched the documentary. Again, it's called We Need to Talk Cosby. By the time this airs, all four episodes will have already been released. But for people who want to watch it, you can live stream it on Showtime and eventually it will probably be on more sites. But one of the messages that Camus Bell speaks about, he's the producer, is he talks about the Cosby story, but he was saying, and I, I was so struck by his, his statement, he was talking about Cosby going to prison is not justice. We have, he was saying this, we have an entire system, and I'm sure you understand this as a judge, that still supports rape culture. We live in a society that still does not believe women when they come forward about being sexually assaulted or abused. So today I'm hoping we can talk some about our, my reaction to the documentary and different people I've spoken to in the field, different clients that I work with. I'm hoping we can have a conversation that's really gonna empower and support all of us as we continue to move forward and work on finding justice in the system. So when I was talking to you about doing this episode, I'm so curious because you, we've been talking lately that you're seeing more abuse, incest cases coming into your courtroom. So I'm curious, what was your reaction when I said, hey, Judge, what do you think about doing a show on this documentary and the messages in it? Oh, you didn't just say that. You also said, and you need to watch it. And of course, uh, I try to watch what I can. 
And I think that, you know, I'm not a survivor. I know you are. I know there's a lot of uh, trauma survivors, sexual assault survivors probably listening. And you have to listen in your own time when you're ready. And for me, although I'm not a survivor, I listen to this almost daily on the bench and I can't take it home with me. So I have to listen to Cosby in pieces when I'm ready, because what I do when I get home is I do self-care. I do things that totally take me away from it so I can be fresh on the bench for the next horrible case that comes in front of me. And remember, I have to listen to both sides. And sometimes the defendant um, pleads not guilty or gets a, a not guilty verdict, or sometimes I toss the case because defendant shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, many times there are convictions, but I'm listening to all sides. And the one thing in common is the pain. So for me, uh, watching Cosby, I have to make sure that I'm in a place where I can emotionally uh, listen to it. And I think that's really true of survivors of any kind of trauma, but especially sexual assault, and especially those who were not believed, who then got re-traumatized by police, by prosecutors, by the judicial system, and, you know, so many things that they have to go through. So I appreciate talking about it again, and I have lots to say, um, but I know that you really have it from a personal um, point of view, and I think it's just such an important a discussion for the reason that Cosby was once seen as this huge, huge victory. Uh, Me Too, coming forward, all of that. And now with the setback of the Supreme Court saying shouldn't have happened, prosecutors screwed up, uh, you know, there's multiple things went wrong um, and he's released. It's a huge, huge setback that really steps on the voice of victims who say, why should I come forward when I'm only going to get trounced on once again? So it's interesting that you bring that up when you talk about uh, the survivors and your perspective. So when, when Bell was filming this documentary, he was just about to wrap up production when all of their phones started going off the day he was released from prison. This, this documentary was being made before he was released. So the thing that I love about the film, and I know that you and I both can relate to this, is he talked about many different aspects of Cosby. He started back in the beginning of Cosby's career and he was talking about, and I was floored when I heard this because I did not know this, but in the first episode, Bell was talking about how when Cosby was doing I Spy, I don't know if you remember that show, I Spy. I do. I actually don't think I was here yet. I was almost here. <laughs> yes, it's an old show. Old. Might even be so, black and white, but it's old. I think it is black and white. So I don't know if you know this, but he was at that time advocating for stuntmen. So what was happening was they were hiring white men to do stunt work for a black man's role and they were painting their faces black. He insisted, he said, we are not doing that anymore. We are going to hire black men to do the work of characters like myself. When I heard that, I thought, I am so glad I'm watching this show because when I think about different people I've met, and I'm sure you've seen this too, when I think about different survivors, whether they 
were victimized by a parent, by a boyfriend, by a coach. Many of these perpetrators have done great things. They have done great things. And what, what Bell was talking about in the documentary was he was trying to show all parts of Cosby. People fell in love with the Cosby show. He was known as America's dad, but decades before that show even came to be, he was, Cosby was on the outside in the public. He had an uh, aura, he had a persona that was, he's an advocate, he's, he's using his platform for change. So this is one of the things that was very confusing for people when they first heard about the allegations. Many people were in shock and said there was no way that somebody like a Cosby, America's dad, who fought for Black men, who fought at times for Black women, there's no way that these allegations can be true. And what he did in the beginning of the documentary was he interviewed just random people. And he said, what, what do you think when you think about Bill Cosby? What do you feel about the allegations? And there were many people who said they did not believe the women. There was no way that somebody with this much goodness and somebody who was fighting for change could also be doing that behind closed doors. So when we talk about people who are coming forward, who've been hurt by men in authority, and not just men, women too. When we talk about different cases that come into your courtroom, or when I think about different stories that I've listened to about men and women, I'm thinking of this one man who was sexually abused by a church leader, and he was one of many. And one of the things that he talked to me about was very similar to Cosby. Nobody, he tried to speak, my client, he tried to speak, nobody listened. Nobody wanted to think that somebody that was running this church program could also be doing X, Y, and Z. So, and I have such strong feelings about all this as I even talk about it now, I feel like this documentary should be a must-see for anybody in this world because I feel like that's such an important message. You and I talk about this a lot. I talk with colleagues. I try to talk with family members and survivors about the conflict that we feel when it comes to believing survivors, because mo again, most cases, they're not just one way. They're not just predators. They could also be church leaders, lawmakers, doctors, judges, right? So um, when you were just talking to before about this is coming into your courtroom and that you see this a lot and that there's times when you have to throw the case out. There's, there's so much confusion around what the system needs in terms of evidence and also the general public's inability to accept that most people, not just predators, but most of us have many parts of, parts of ourselves, right? You and I, yeah. we have, right? We have yeah. great qualities, but we also have things about us that maybe needs improvement or would maybe somebody would say that, you know, Sherry Botwin, when she said X, Y, and Z, she hurt me, right? So I'm curious, as somebody who works in the system, and as an maybe how I would look at you when you say you're not a survivor of this kind of trauma, you're, you're an advocate, you're somebody that is trying to 
change the system in the role that you play. So I'm curious what you think about that. Well, um, there's a couple of things. First of all, when you mentioned all the good things Cosby did, I actually teach a class. I teach, you know, uh, I don't know, a dozen classes between two law schools. And one of them is defending battered people. And we talk about a case that was against Cosby, where this girl says, he, you're my dad. And I'm going to sue you because, you know, you owe my mom child support and, 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 and it goes on. And then she tries to extort money from him uh, to keep it quiet that he's her father. Now, ultimately, the result of that was that the DNA showed that he wasn't the father. But you know what he did? He was not vindictive. And I love to see this in my courtroom, too, when this happens, when uh, somebody who's been wronged says, I don't want any money. I don't want anything. How can I help you? And ultimately, what he did was he put this girl through school college. And he did right by her realizing she didn't have a dad and he was going to be the dad. There was no, no, no sexual assault. You know, that wasn't even in the world yet when this case was, was there. So we all know and love Cosby and the things that he did before all this came out. Now we see, oh my gosh, someone in authority can be your worst nightmare. So I think this case really stands for the proposition that there is no definition, no picture, no description of who an abuser is. I also think that we need to really bring our A game. And by bringing your A game, I mean awareness, accountability, action, advocacy, and honor those so that we really have change in this world. And I think that's the really great thing about the film and being made by a black man. As you might know, I I've been involved with the uh, victims of Dr. Anderson at U of M. They were uh, sexually assaulted for about 40 years. And of course, football players and other people in sports had to do what they were told or else they couldn't play. They'd lose scholarships. There's so many things that could have happened. And, you know, of course, that happens in the film industry. You complain and you'll never work again in this town, which is someone's livelihood. But the great thing about these men is they're talking 40, 50 years later, and they're talking about the outcomes that happened and they're being so brave. And ultimately, Dr. Anderson didn't, it was like Cosby, didn't just abuse whites or blacks or Hispanics across the board, abused everybody. But in, it's interesting to note that the black men who are coming out are saying, here's this white doctor who has abused about 77, 78% black men, because he was trying to uh, create the world's best black athlete, which is a whole other story we can talk about some other time. But you just, the, my point is, you can't put these things in boxes, you have to look at uh, what's happened. And the fact that we now have all of these minorities saying, me too, we're not going to tolerate it. And this black filmmaker saying, you know what, Cosby may have been a great man, but he doesn't speak for all of us. And yes, he too needs to be accountable. He cannot wrong anybody. And let's talk about it. I mean, I'm taking in what you're saying. I'm trying to think, how's the best way to respond? Because I have so many thoughts about what you just said. And one of the things that I found to be very interesting as I was listening to Bill talk about the production of the documentary, for him to put this out there in the public, there were 
death threats against him and his family. Just like when, you know, if you think about different survivors and they're wanting to come forward and you hear about all these stories, including Cosby, where they will pay you off for you to keep your mouth shut. Bell apparently was working on this project for several years and he felt strongly enough about it, even with having a family. He's, he's got kids who are my age and younger. He felt strongly enough about this project that he continued to move ahead. And when he was interviewing some of the women, the women, the, the witnesses who testified in the second trial, or even just some of the other people who were saying they were assaulted by Cosby, they too also talked about the backlash, the loss of income, the loss of opportunity when they came forward and said, this is what Cosby did to me. And I think one of the things that I think about, I, I say this to trauma survivors a lot, um, you know, when we go through this recovery process, we have to deal with all the shame, all the fear, we have to feel and know and remember. And that in and of itself makes, I know for myself and many people that I work with, there's so many times where I've said, or where, where clients have said to me, I can't do this anymore. I can't have another flashback. I can't deal with not being believed. I need, I need to go back to my ex-husband because at least he was somebody that could provide for me. These are things that we as survivors struggle with just when we face trauma. But then when you think about going public, when you think about saying, alleging that somebody that's known the, the, the victims of the Anderson case, which I don't know so much about, but I can imagine that he sounds like he was a well-known, uh, respected professional that worked at a university. So I can only imagine what happened when some of those survivors started coming forward. And I think that the, the good news in this is that we are starting to move ahead with, we're starting to be a society that is listening some to survivors because this documentary was sold. And you and I can sit at home and watch this documentary, which says to me, if Bell had said maybe 10 years ago, I want to do this documentary. That's not, I don't think that a, a, a network would pick it up and say, let me have that. But I think since hashtag me too, I think since Nasser and some of these other high profile cases, I do think we society, we really are moving forward in terms of not just maybe accepting that there are cases of sexual assault and abuse and rape, but we're becoming a society that's starting to understand more about what that's like for people. And when I was, when I was going through the documentary, I was listening to some of the stories. So on the film, he interviewed, so I, and I think I was saying this, he had interviewed some of the witnesses who testified in the second trial and he also interviewed other women that did not have an opportunity to be heard in court. And one of the things that he asked all of them was, what did you feel when you heard the verdict? What did you think when you saw Cosby being hauled off to prison? And they all said the same thing. They said it in a different way, but they weren't cheering. 
They weren't standing up in their seats and saying, hooray, we, you know, victory. In, in different words, they all said that they felt sad, they felt angry, they felt heartbroken. I was listening to one of the women and she really, for me, I felt so affirmed. Her Eden Turl, she's one of the women that alleged that Cosby had assaulted her on the set of the Cosby show. And when 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 Bell was talking to her about her reaction to him going off to prison, the the feeling I could feel that feeling that she was having that day. It was it's almost like there's some closure, there's some relief, but really so much sadness because when they take somebody off to prison, when you sentence Nasser to 143 plus years in prison. There's, there's, there's a feeling of relief, but there's also that feeling of, but we still are left with the impact. We, we're still left with the flashbacks. We're still feeling pain, being affected by the choices that Cosby or Nasser or Anderson or in my situation, a family member, for some of my clients, their bosses, their teachers, we're still left with PTSD. We're still left with having to go through life, figuring out how to manage the fear, the shame, the anger, the just the feeling of the ongoing life process of recovery. So, so uh, yeah. I was just gonna, I, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that whether it's rape or robbery or carjacking, I think that the, the process is so difficult to go through and then victims go through it and then they see their predator hauled off to jail or prison and they're not made whole. Like, I don't know if it's, and you doing the therapy that you do, I don't know if it's that unreasonable expectation that they'll be made whole by seeing or feeling this now that their predator is gone and they feel safe. Um, but I think personally, and I, I'm not having your training, I think that when victims are seen invisibly because no one's listening to them, that's a trauma. Then with like the Cosby case and the Anderson case, they'll never have uh, their day because he, he's dead and there's over 2000 victims. Um, they feel like the system treated them invisibly again. So they still don't matter. And then there's this veil of silence that isolates the victims because people don't want to talk about it or they didn't listen. There's so much going on there. And then victims are, are medicated. So that can relieve the pain or the trauma, but it doesn't really because all it does is separate their brain from the trauma. And so they don't feel like themselves in their own body. And then of course we have this denial from people around uh, for so many years, the, the victim. And of course, here we have a high profile um, beloved actor. And, and there's so many people who are, whether even if it's a parent, somebody who is beloved and everybody um, believes them and denies the victim, there's like willful ignorance. And so the victim feels again, invisible. And then there is a betrayal when you have a reversal, like with Cosby, that this is never, it never is going to end. I wish I wouldn't have done it. It's never going to be over. And so their healing becomes 
more than difficult because they have so many obstacles to go over. You know what, this is what I'm thinking as you're saying that I'm thinking as a survivor of incest, what ultimately would make me feel at peace or what would make me feel heard? And it would not be standing in a courtroom watching my perpetrator being hauled off to prison. That would be a relief and that would be validating to an extent, but I think what most of us want and many of us don't get is we want the acknowledgement by the person that caused us harm. We want Cosby or my family member or whoever the accused, we want that person to say, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I would hurt you so deeply. What can I do? I, I know I can't go back and I can't reverse it. I know I can't change it, but what can I do to give you some closure? I'm gonna go get therapy. Let's go to therapy together. Do you know how in the 25 years that I've been doing this job, do you know that I've never ever sat in a session and had that experience with a survivor? I have never had a client's family member or whoever the alleged accuser was sit in a room with my client and take responsibility. And that, yeah, that plays out in the courtroom too. You know, what happens is, and may, I don't know if it happened in your family or not, but it usually divides families. And I have the center aisle, right? And I will see those who are on the prosecutor side and those who are on the defendant's side, it divides families and there is no coming together. And it is very rare. On occasion, I have a predator who says, I'm so, so terribly sorry. I wish I wouldn't have done it. But that is not the usual. The usual is um, they didn't do anything wrong or the, the victim wanted it or, or what have you. And it's the power and control. They still try to control the courtroom and the family and everybody else. And so uh, I don't know, can victims, can you, even with an I'm sorry, feel whole when you've been so victimized? I mean, I don't know because I haven't had that experience. I would imagine that if the person that caused me harm could take responsibility, I would need a lot more than I'm sorry. But I could kind of picture, because I know early in my recovery, I did things to try to get people in my family to step up and own their part. I came up with ideas about what they could do to be in my life and they obviously weren't able to, like you're saying, it, it rips families apart. But I could sort of imagine that over the course of time, not, and I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. And here's what I'm going to do to try and help absolve myself. Here's what I'm going to try to do to, to gain some respect back in our relationship. So I think that it, it, there's, there is the possibility, but unfortunately, and this is not the theme of the show, the theme really, and the message that we're talking about is how do you live with knowing that there will not be justice? For many of us, we will never have our day in court. For those people like some of the accusers um, or some of the women that were alleging that they were assaulted by Cosby, there is some, there's some validation and there's some healing that came from even knowing that he served one day in prison because he's obviously not in prison anymore some of the women were talking about when he was released early from prison that they felt like he did serve some time so there's sort of like on a you know a pie chart there's like a little tiny piece there of 
they feel something about that. There is some redemption in that. But I think that the majority of us are going to have to find ways to come to terms with, accept, and understand that part of our healing is means that we're not going to get, we're not going to be acknowledged. We're the people that hurt us are not going to come back later and say, I'm sorry that I did that. I think if I've been doing this for 25 years and I've never had that in my office, I think when I talk to colleagues, I rarely hear stories about that. I can imagine in your courtroom, I can imagine being in your courtroom and, and being a witness that that could happen occasionally. But if we were going to look at the statistics, then the numbers are going to be, they're going to be just horrible. Yeah, I, it's more, what I hear is more like, I'm sorry. They say I'm sorry because it's in front of me and they know they're going down, right? There's been a guilty verdict or guilty plea. I know the facts. I know what's gone on. I've heard from multiple victims or whoever they assaulted. And it's more like, I'm sorry I got caught. It's really that power and control wheel. But here's the good thing about Cosby. And this case has a horrible outcome granted, but it also, I think still is a victory because those strong survivors that after 20, 30, 40 years, all this time, they still, cause what the first ones were in the early 2000s, right? 2004, 2005, maybe earlier, but ultimately um, they stood up, they were finally heard and they have ignited others to say, well, I'm talking too. It's the same thing with Nasser, with Anderson, with Ohio State, with all of these, with Epstein. Um, it, it's there's so many predators out there that serve as uh, this now um, force where the victims are saying, "Oh yeah, well I matter. I'm taking my power back from you." And it's really not about whether they spend a day or a, a thousand years in prison. It's about the voice of the victim being heard, taking a piece of themselves back. And we just need to learn collectively, males and females, and however you identify and whatever your race is or whoever you are, all of us need to join and partner together to put an end to the culture of silence and acceptance of sexual assault, recognize it, demand accountability and justice for both sides, for everyone. And I think we have a great justice system. I think it's flawed, but we need to do better. The prosecutor in Cosby, why didn't they put that plea agreement in writing? Why didn't they honor it? Why did they do the civil case before the criminal case? I mean, there's so many questions I have, but you know what? Let's use this as a springboard for learning, education, and real meaningful change in legislation and doing better. And you know what? There has been so much good and so much change that has come from these different stories. I know one of the ways that Bell ended the documentary was he talked about how Janice Baker Kinney, how Victoria Valenti Valentino, Gloria Alred, I don't want to leave people out, Linda Kilpatrick, and uh, some of the other people who were involved with the Cosby case went to the state and said, we need to abolish the statute of limitations. They, from what I heard, were knocking on doors, not just one time, but over and over, they demanded to be heard. So one of the good things that came out of them using their anger and their feelings about injustice was they actually changed laws in the state of California. So then people could 
could press charges. People who were assaulted or abused. I mean, some of the Cosby women were the first stories of alleged assaults went back into the 1960s, actually, which was one of the things that Bell talked about in the documentary. And some of those women who were never going to be able to have their day in court because of these statute of limitations, they stomped their feet and they said no more. And that was one of the ways that the film ended. It was really important that I think the way he ended the film, because what he was showing the world is that even in, and this again, the film ended when Cosby was released early from prison. He's showing the world that even if things don't go our way, even if we don't get the apology or we don't get the justice that we're seeking, there is so much that we can do with our voices. There's so much, like you're saying, as a society that we could do together. Some of these, these laws and these statute limitations, these different things that, that victims have to deal with, it's not gonna change with one voice. We've gotta get a bunch of people together. When I went to, there was a vigil in Philadelphia held about a week after Cosby was released from prison. And what I saw there, I met women who were, who were alleged victims of Weinstein. I started talking to this other organization that was basically started as a result of hashtag me too about what is consent. I saw things that I've never seen and I, this is what I do for a living. And I was so invigorated and I felt so much joy and hope to see that we were all standing there we all had our own stories. We all have different backgrounds. There were men there. There were people who had been abused by priests early in their childhood. We all stood at this vigil reacting to Cosby being released from prison. We all stood there together and talked about what we need to do to move forward. And that's really, I think, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today about this, because if this if this podcast sparks any energy or ideas or ways for people to continue to advocate for change, then we've accomplished our goal today, in my opinion. I remember seeing the pictures of you standing there. Thank you for doing that. I think, though, that people need to realize that they have a voice, whether this happened to them or someone in their family or someone they know, it doesn't matter how they can use their voice. Now, elections are coming up. And it doesn't matter whether it's at the local level or at the federal level, figure out what the position is of the candidates who say, vote for me. And you know, why can't we have national legislation that says there's no statute of limitations for first degree rape? There is no statute of limitations on murder. So, you know, rape to me is really murdering the soul of someone's um, self-worth. And so why aren't we looking at no meaning no, and there, no be, there not being a statute of limitations, you know, no statute of limitations, uh, no means no, and we all join together because that would be a huge first step in eradicating the silence and the stigma. And we would just move so far ahead in protecting our future kids. Because you know what? A lot of people have gone through this already. What about those yet to be born? Why aren't we protecting them? Why aren't we changing this now? It's a known uh, problem. If this were, you know, COVID, we're trying to do everything we can to get rid of that. Why aren't we getting rid of sexual assault and starting by putting no limitation on the statute of limitations? Aren't we smarter than letting it be as it is? It's not working. 
Well, I have a question for you. If somebody's out here listening and somebody like myself, who's pretty clueless about how the law actually works and we don't know what to do or who to go to, can we ask you, can we reach out to you and say, I live in, I live in PA and I want to write to my Senator or my Congress. I wouldn't even know honestly who to write to Would I write to the Congress, to the house. So I'm wondering if you can make yourself available in that way. If people have questions about who should I contact? (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? Certainly they can reach out, but you know what you do is you Google who is the state representative, who is the state Senator and find out their numbers and write them a letter, make them a phone call to their administrative assistant, to them, ask for a meeting. If you're part of a group, if you're the president of that organization, meet with them, uh, go to their fundraisers, put your, your uh, I know, you know, if you don't have money, they all do $20 ones, they do $100 ones and more, but show up. If they'll come knocking on your door, will you vote for me? Put a sign in my yard. No, what do you stand for? And then at the federal level, every state has US senators and U.S. Um, congressperson. So like Michigan has two U.S. senators and then we have um, representatives in the House um, at the federal level. All of them should be contacted. And if you can't con- talk to them directly, they all have an administrative assistant. You talk with them, you write them letters. And you know, you can do a mass letter writing. And the best letters, because I worked in the legislature for a decade, if you're going to do one letter and everybody signs the same kind of letter, we'll do one answer. But the individual stories, like share your story. If you write your story and then ask, you know, for no statute of limitations and for other changes, they have to write an individual letter to you. So individual stories work best. And let me just tell you, they work for you. Wow. I mean, this is like so empowering because it's something that as a therapist and somebody who writes, it's something that I've really been wanting to do. I want to be able to get out there in the legal world and speak my mind and say why I think, you know, we need change because it's just heartbreaking to see so many people suffering and not even being able to have a way to use their pain. This is a way to manage with pain to do what we're talking about. So I'm so glad that you, I guess we don't have to reach out to you because you already answered. Let me also just add that a lot of people are going to bamboozle you and they'll say, oh, sure, I'll do that. Well, you know what you need to say when, when you're going to put the bill in, is it going to be a priority? Because every legislator has priority bills they could put in. If it sits in committee and then they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, it died. I didn't have control. No, you can get, they can get the votes and they can suspend the rules. They can bring it from the committee back to the floor, get it voted, go to the other house, do the same thing. And literally I have watched bills being passed within a week or two. It doesn't have to take a year or two or 10 or a hundred. What are they waiting for? That's the question every voter needs to ask. And if they're waiting, move on to the next candidate. There's always a candidate who wants your vote and who will make a commitment for change. And that's what you need. And then follow up with them once they are elected. And if they don't do what they said they would, the media would love to hear about it. There's my two cents. Okay, well then, (laughs) mission accomplished. If somebody says, what made you decide to do a topic on, on, the documentary, We Need to Talk Cosby, I think that we've, I think I could answer the question. Just listen to the last two or three minutes of the podcast when Judge Aquilina tells us out here in the public what we can do to change a system that needs to be fixed when it comes to sexual assault and abuse survivors. This is a, it's a great spot to end and I'm appreciative of the knowledge that you share with us and your 
your energy and reminding us that don't just send something. And then if you don't hear back, oh, well, be on top of it. And it's great to hear you say that they work for us. I don't actually think that I know that or knew that. So I think there's probably a lot of people out here going, I'm so glad that she shared that. Yeah, well, so to- remember, we pay taxes. We pay their salary. And Sherry, I just got to say thank you for constantly, because I don't know, I don't really ask you, does it re-traumatize you to talk about your own trauma? And I just want to thank you for time and time again sharing it, because you're really a role model to everybody who's been victimized in any way to keep talking, keep advocating, and working for change. So thank you. This was great. And I can't wait to go back and listen to the show and think about all the things that we talked about. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk about stuff that I know that you you deal with every day in your courtroom. So what I say to both of us and to anybody out here listening, make sure you take really good care of yourself when you turn this podcast off. Do something good for yourself, honor yourself, and know that if you're having thoughts and feelings about what you've heard, that's normal. It's okay. And don't try to bury it. Find a way to talk about it, to express it, and just really be good to yourselves. When in doubt, eat chocolate, drink coffee, and use hairspray. That's my, <laughs> and I and walk around in cowboy boots. That's my remedy. <laughs> so that's what we should picture in five minutes when we turn this off. I love it. That's a great image. I'm not, I'm not going to say what mine are because people will say, are you actually serious? But I probably will either be running up and down my hallway having fun with my 10 year old or getting him ready to go to a sleepover party or dancing to crazy loud music. That's what I'm going to be doing. So it sounds like we, as long as we have a plan and we stick to it, we're going to be just fine. I'll be dancing with you in my uh, cowboy boots (laughs) thinking about you. All right. So this has been wonderful to spend the time with you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see you real soon. Thanks so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It truly is an honor to be able to sit down with Judge Aquilina and have such meaningful conversations. Stay tuned. Each Monday, we will be releasing new episodes in the hopes that we will inspire, uplift, and instill hope. Be sure to subscribe now to at Warrior Women Speak. Until next time.